You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the New Year's Eve murder of C.H. Wessel. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. How are those New Year's resolutions coming along for you? Did you make them wait until Monday? <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. I've got a few New Year's resolutions that I certainly want to keep. I want to keep them. Now, whether or not they're actually kept is a whole different story. My resolutions are few and simple. Um, like, I want to get in bed before 11 which seems easy enough for some. Uh, I even have a cousin that goes to bed at 9 p.m. on the dot. Me? Can't do it. I cannot bring myself to do it. I feel like something is completely off with my circadian rhythm. I feel like I do my best work between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. But another one of my New Year's resolutions is to get up earlier. And so if I'm going to keep that one, then by default, I've got to get to bed earlier. And it's what, like day six? Is it January 6th? Day six of the new year. And I think I've gone to bed before 11. Let me think about it. Uh, zero times. Baby steps, people. Real. Small. Baby steps. Another one of my resolutions is to be more intentional with my time. Um, and you all know that I am one who gets lost down the rabbit hole of social media and internet sleuthing. And it makes sense because I write a true crime podcast. So it can be very easy for me to read one article and then another and then another and then another and then bam, it's 5 a.m. and I can hear birds chirping outside my window. And that's when I know that I've stayed up too late. So I'm going to try and get all my research, my writing, my recording, editing all done when my kids are at school. But then that's hard because when they're not here with me, all I want to do is rest and I deserve it. These kids can be the sweetest of angels, sure, but they can also be the most destructive monsters you have ever seen. Uh, today's episode is going to be short and sweet like my kids sometimes, but before we get into it, I do need to do a little housekeeping. Um, if you're not already following me on my Instagram account at Mystery Still Unsolved, um, why do you hate yourself? love yourself, treat yourself better this year, and join my little community. In fact, let's make it a New Year's resolution right now. And you can keep it. You can like make it and keep it all in one minute. I'm going to help you. Repeat after me. Say, my New Year's resolution is to finally follow Mystery Still Unsolved on Instagram. Okay, your turn. I can't hear you. Oh my gosh, like put some gusto into it. Like, all right. Okay. Okay. Much better. Okay. Now pick up your phone, find the Instagram app. Damn. Why do you have so many pages of apps on your phone? Like, are you like a state of or something? You got to organize those bad boys. Okay. Do you got it? Sweet. Open it up. Now in the search bar, 
look up Mystery Still Unsolved. That's M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y-S-T-I-L-L-U-N-S-O-L-V-E-D. Do you see my little cartoon? Isn't she cute? <laughs> yeah, of course she is. Okay. Okay, click it. Now at the top, it's going to say follow. Push that button. There you go. You did it. Your first New Year's resolution is accomplished. You can cross it off. I knew you could do it. And it makes my heart proud. Especially now that you can comment your thoughts, theories, opinions on each case that we discuss. Um, you can also DM me a case suggestion and hang out with me on stories every once in a full moon. Okay. I don't actually go on every full moon. I'm not like a witch. Uh, that's false advertisement. But I don't go on at a crazy amount. So I'm not going to be bugging you too much. If you still can't get enough of me, well, Oh my gosh. All right. Go to www.mysterystillunsolved.com and there you can binge my now 64 episodes. Nope. You don't have to clean your ears out. You heard me right the first time. 64 episodes. So like I said, today's case is going to be short and sweet, but that doesn't mean it isn't jam packed with mystery, intrigue, and a need for resolution. Let's dive in. Actually, hold up. Wait a minute. Sorry. One more thing before we take off on today's true crime flight. Consider this your old timey case warning. There is only one really super good article about this case, and it's honestly pretty short. So I've taken it upon myself. I've taken the liberty of embellishing it a bit. So that way I can paint a picture for you, really tell a story. So while today's episode is based on a true case, not everything that I say on here is going to be 100% true. I promise, I promise, I promise you that the bones of the story would hold up in a court of law. I would place my hand on that Bible. But some of the frills and fluff, that's all me and this big old noggin of mine. Otherwise, I'd just be like clinically reading a short news article to you, which sounds about as fun as a colonoscopy, don't you think? All right, now that I've gotten that out of the way, let's really dive in. For real this time. I'm not joking. For real. Let's dive in. Picture this. It's December 31st, 1889. You're in Clinton County, Iowa, of all places, either because you hate people or maybe you hate yourself. You choose. It's your life. I'm not going to tell you how to live it. There isn't much to do because, well, it's 1889 and you're in Iowa. <laughs> there's no radio. There's no TV. You can't even really farm because it's the middle of winter. So after your 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. 5 p.m. milking and like stall cleaning, you got jack shit to do for the next 12 hours. But not tonight. Oh, no, no. Tonight, there is a bustle in the air, my friend. The year is ending and someone you know is throwing a New Year's Eve party. I have to imagine that in the 1800s, parties were like a big freaking deal. It's not like today when you like don't get invited to a party and you're like, whatever, I'll find something else to do. No. In the 1800s, if you didn't get invited to a party, that would have really stung because you literally weren't going to do anything Besides, I don't know, maybe eat a bowl of stew with your wife that you call mother and hit the hay in your long underwear with only your bedpan to comfort you. Okay, now picture this. You're a man by the name of Carster Henry 
Wessel. You go by CH for obvious reasons. I mean, your birth name is Karster. <laughs> so yeah, you better believe you're going by CH. It's a lot cooler. Okay, so you are CH Wessel. And oh yeah, by the way, you're 68 years old, but you still got a little party left in those brittle old bones of yours. So you're going to party like it's 1889, even if it kills you. Because after all, this wasn't just some party. This was the Detcliffe and Christina Peterson New Year's Eve party and dance. Only the hottest party to ever happen in Iowa to this day, actually. That's that's true fact. There's only one slight hiccup, just a little one, besides being old and frail and all. Um, as we know, small town feuds run deep. And while you have no issue, zero issue with the hosts of this party, their son. Let's just say you're not his number one fan because the son, Franz, is no good. He is trouble. And this Franz has his eyes set on your little girl youngest daughter. Franz had asked permission to court C.H. Wessel's 15-year-old daughter, Minzy, a few weeks previous. And C.H. had flat out told him, over my dead body. And you know what that little twerp Franz did? He went behind C.H. Wessel's back and secretly courted his daughter anyway. So you're sitting there and you're like, should you go? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I stay? Finally, you say, screw it. I'm freaking C.H. Wessel. I like food. I like music. I like dancing. I like fireworks. I like shooting off my gun to like bells tolling and shit. You're not going to let a couple of haters ruin your New Year's Eve, especially not Franz. No way. Plus, a little party never kill nobody, right? Right? Foreshadowing? I don't know. We shall see. Okay. Okay. So CH decides to go to the party and it's not too far away. So he decides to walk. As he nears the Peterson farm, he begins to hear the faint sounds of music and drunken laughter and the faint clap, 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 clap of a horse trod growing louder and louder until he hears the call of a friendly neighbor. Mr. Wessel, would you like a ride to the Petersons? It's awfully cold tonight, they ask. C.H. Wessel shrugs off their offer. Too cold? Too cold? Kids these days. They're such babies. No. C.H. Wessel would walk. When he gets to the party, it is bustling. Women and men separated. Of course, the women can complain about their husbands and the husbands can complain about the old ball and chain. Uh, the children race between the maze of people probably playing some game that they've created that has no rules unless they like make one up so that they can win. Uh, the older children, the teenagers, uh, they play games too, but of another sort. Their futile attempts at flirting with each other are almost too cringy to acknowledge. C.H. Wessel finds the food and grabs a plate. Um, his wife, Caroline, has been here for hours helping Christina prepare this large feast. C.H. takes a seat and bites into a leg of turkey. It's freaking delicious. But C.H. sighs as to not let anyone know that he's having a good time. Because if anyone knew that C.H. was having a good time or feeling the slightest bit of happiness, it could ruin his reputation. Just then, the music stops. People start to shuffle to the edges of the room. It's almost midnight, and people are desperately seeking out a companion 
to smooch. It's at this point that mid bite of a roll, C.H. Wessel sees him. Frickin' Franz. And not just Franz, but C.H. Wessel's youngest daughter, Minzy, too. They aren't doing anything particularly scandalous, just a bit of talking and blushing, but for some reason, the sight of it infuriated C.H. He slammed his plate of food on a nearby table and dart, darted across the room in one swift movement. He grabs Minzy's arm and pulls her away from his nemesis. C.H. Wessel wags a frail finger. The room quiets. C.H. then gave Franz a loud and stern warning. Stay away from my daughter. You'll never be good enough for her. Franz attempts to talk to C.H., which only comes off as more blatant disrespect to Wessel. C.H. is seeing red at this point and begins to yell louder and louder, more and more. At one point, witnesses say he was frothing at the mouth. And I've been pretty mad, but I don't think I've ever frothed at the mouth. So that seems really pretty mad. Franz, his ignorant youth, doesn't want to back down to this old dude um, and lose face in front of his friends. So he decides to yell back. To C.H. Wessel's horror, people join in on the feud. However, no one seems to be taking his side. They all seem to be coming to the aid of that good-for-nothing Franz. C.H. Wessel throws his hands up in the air in disbelief. He picks up a chair, puts it high above his head, and throws it in the direction of Franz before departing the party. I can only imagine C.H. Wessel's thoughts and actions at this point. I imagine he mumbled and grumbled to himself. I imagine he swore. I imagine he cursed Franz. I imagine he pondered his next move. I can't imagine that C.H. could imagine what would happen to him next. Charles Jargo never could handle his liquor, and had passed out around quarter to two. The Petersons had laid a blanket over him and gone to bed. Jargo had abruptly awoken to the feeling of a dog licking chocolate pudding off of his face. Now, more than ever, it seemed like a good time for Charles to go home. It was about 6 a.m. when he and a couple of other hardcore partygoers were making that cold and long walk of shame that they saw it. 200 feet from the post office and about a half mile away from the Peterson home, a man was laying face first, unconscious, in a ditch. At first, the men came to the conclusion that the man, like themselves, had also become a victim to the bottle. It wasn't until Jargo and another man turned the body that they discovered it wasn't just any man, it was C.H. Wessel, and that he was not drunk, but in fact dying from gunshot wounds to his head. Jargo and another man ran to the home of August and Maria. August was C.H. Wessel's eldest son, but by the time the three men returned to C.H. Wessel's side, he was basically gone. The men decided to take Wessel to a nearby home anyway. They alerted doctors. The doctor arrived and came to the conclusion that C.H. was in fact dead and that any attempt to resuscitate him would be fruitless. Wessel's daughter-in-law, Maria, notified Clinton County Coroner C.W. Myers of the death. 
The next day, Myers traveled to Teeds Grove, taking along court reporter John Jackson, Clinton County Attorney Joseph H. Flint, and Clinton County Sheriff Joseph E. Moran to hear and record inquest testimony. During those proceedings, Meyer reported that Wessel had a bruise on his shoulder and three bullet wounds on the right side of his head, one above the ear and two in the temple. The shots were from a 32 caliber revolver, and they were fired at such close range that the skin was burned and blackened. It was the conjecture of the coroner and a panel of his peers that C.H. Wessel had been walking home when he was accosted by someone, perhaps more than one person, Uh, C.H. Wessel had been struck on the shoulder with a heavy club and incapacitated, and while C.H. lay on the ground, a revolver had been fired into the side of his head three times at close range. The verdict of the coroner's jury was the standard, quote, killed by person or persons unknown, end quote. August, C.H. Wessel's son, who lived not far from where his father had died, said that around 1230, they had heard what sounded like distant gunshots, but he and his wife had paid no mind because the sound of gunshots had rung all throughout the night. It had been New Year's Eve after all. How was August to know the difference between gunshots of celebration and gunshots of his own father's demise? As expected, suspicions in the small town ran rampant, especially among Wessel's fellow German community, who believed that Franz Peterson was not only involved, but solely responsible. You can imagine their frustration when they were told by the sheriff that there simply was not enough evidence for a grand jury to indict and charge Franz with the murder, and thus it remained unsolved. And reporting the death and investigation, the Clinton Daily Herald wrote, quote, a thick veil of mystery hangs over the village of Teeds Grove on account of the cold-blooded murder. What looks the most suspicious is the fact that the utmost stolidity and indifference to the fate of the old man is expressed by those most closely interested, end quote. A few years after C.H. Wessel's death in 1893, a Clinton resident who referred to himself as a detective, although he did not possess any credentials, attempted to solve this murder most likely due to the hefty reward that the German community had raised on Wessel's behalf. Clinton claimed that one day he was hiding underneath the Peterson's porch and heard Franz confess to killing Wessel to another man. However, a grand jury found his testimony false, and Clinton himself served seven years in Anamosa Penitentiary for perjury. In 1899, the Wessel homicide did gain new life when Franz Peterson was convicted of the rape of a 14-year-old girl. Frickin' Franz. It seems C.H. had been right to not trust frickin' Franz all along. Newspapers once again reported the Wessel murder details, implying that Franz had only evaded retribution because he came from a wealthy and well-liked family. Despite this renewed publicity, No new clues were brought forward to solve the murder. Before we wrap up today's story, I just want to talk a little bit more about C.H. Wessel himself. Carster Henry Wessel was born in Germany in 1823, and at the time of his death, he was considered an old settler of the Elk Grove Township. C.H. and his German-born wife Caroline had five children together, August, Wilhelm, Melina, Bertha, and Minzy. 
Wessel was buried in the Teeds Grove Cemetery. His wife, Caroline, died two years later, and a single headstone commemorates them both with inscriptions in German. There were, of course, always suspicions that it could have been a straggler who was simply passing town that night who killed C.H. I mean, we all know how small towns can get sometimes when they don't want to admit or even fathom that one of their own could be a murderer, but that seems unlikely. There was even a rumor that C.H. had shot himself in the head after being publicly humiliated when the town had come to Franz's defense instead of his own, but no. No gun was found at C.H.'s side, and no one commits suicide by shooting themselves three times in the head. No way. I believe we all know the answer to what happened that dark and cold December night. C.H. Wessel told Franz that he could date Menzi over his dead body. I believe that Franz set out that night and killed C.H. in cold blood so that he would have an opportunity at doing just that. What do you make of this case? Are there any solutions you think are plausible that we didn't discuss today? Let me know on my post at Mystery Still Unsolved on Instagram. Do you want to know how to support this podcast? Of course you do. Visit my Instagram and become a follower. If you can't remember how to do that, just replay the episode. I gave you a very in-depth step-by-step on how to do it. You can also visit my website, www.mysterystillunsolved.com. You can tell a true crime-loving friend or family member about me and my podcast. You know, you know someone who loves true crime just as much as you. And even if you think you don't, I promise you, you do. We're out there. We're everywhere. Some of us are just closeted true crime junkies. But of course, the best way to support this podcast would be to join me next week. When together, we'll discover, did anyone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?